suffering. So uh, thank you all for um, being there for us during that time and showing us uh, the love that we know that you have for us. Um, but today we will have our Super Bowl Sunday fun day, okay? So anybody uh, 6th to 12th grade is invited to come. Uh, 3.30 we're going to play flag football at Staples Stadium at Heard County High School. And then following that we're going to go to First Baptist Church of Franklin and watch the Super Bowl with them there. So it's going to be a good time. We're going to have lots of food, lots of fun. So um, if you have any questions, if you need a ride, whatever that is, just come and see me after this is over and we can try to set that up um, so that we can go and so you can be a part of that also. And then uh, February 16th, we're going to have a lunch fundraiser um, following morning service to, to raise donations for our Nicaragua mission. And so if you would like to be a part of that, we please, we invite you to come and and to uh, have lunch with us that day. Uh, deacons meeting will be February 16th at 7 p.m. And also they're creating a WMU cookbook. And so if you have any recipes you'd like to donate, there's a table out there um, for that as well. And then finally, uh, Discipleship Now 2020 is coming soon. That's another event for our students. Um, it's March 13th through the 15th. Um, and so there's a sign-up sheet in the back and there's also release forms available. Every student needs a new release form for 2020. Um, so we'd appreciate you going ahead and filling those out and letting us know that's $30. Um, but as we, as we get started and ready for worship, I'm going to ask uh, Larry Teeter to come forward and read our call to worship. You know, it really impresses me when I'm sitting at the desk out there, uh, how many gentlemen bring their wife and drop them off at the door. So I had my wife drop me off at the door this morning. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just had to do that. <laughs> uh, what I'm reading today is from Isaiah 40 and uh, verse 31 or uh, Verse 31 through uh, 40. My Bible doesn't give me the numbers here. 31. Anyway, it said, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. That's, uh, that's the last verse, so I'll start with the first one. Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired, and vigorous young men stumble badly, yet those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. When I was in high school, I, I became friends with this young man, and, 
and uh, we were friends for many, many years. And uh, he married a, a wonderful Christian girl, and she died of cancer. And he said, this is, this is what sustained him, this verse. Those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. And uh, I suppose there are millions of people who have read that verse and, and gained strength from it. And we know that our strength comes from the Lord because without him, we can do nothing. Let's pray. Dear Father, we thank you so much for your your strength, your mercy, and your wisdom. We thank you, Lord, that you give us the, uh, the insight into your word. You give us the ability, the ability to understand the things of Scripture. And, Lord, we just thank you for that. We know that you are the one that gives us uh, mercy and grace. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. morning. If you'll stand this morning, we're going to worship together. <coughs> we're going to sing Wonderful Grace of Jesus. A second. Grab a hymnal, page 338. I believe in the computer, it's Wonderful Grace of Jesus. I think we just have the wrong song pulled up. Wonderful Grace of Jesus. Y'all got a hymnal? This is going to be fun now. We're going to sing that first verse again. y'all can probably hear me, but I want to tell you about the wonderful grace of Jesus. This week I had a biopsy. Yeah, I, had, I hadn't been shy about it. I, I had it, and I had lots of people praying for me and lifting me up, and I got the word it's all clear. Praise God. Amen. Alright, let's sing this first verse together. It's 338.
as a previous music educator, it kind of made my heart feel real good, y'all reading music just then. Made me realize there's probably a lot more of y'all sitting out there that know how to read music, who, you know, could read music up here and sing in the choir. Just seemed like the right time to plug that in. We have new um, Easter music that is in, and the children are going to sing Easter music with us, just like they did Christmas. So I encourage you this evening um, to join us at 5 for uh, choir practice. <laughs> I told James, no matter what happens, we're good. What a blessing. Uh, we need to celebrate the grace of Jesus Christ this morning and God's work in all of our lives. And especially today, James Armstrong, who grew up in this community. Uh, I've known James, I guess, since I came to Glenlock in 2000, which was years ago. Um, but God has done a great work in James's life. James has accepted Christ as his Lord and Savior. I want to thank Jesus. I want to thank our church community. I want to thank his friends and family uh, for the salt and light that we've been able to, to be uh, as James has surrendered his life to Christ. So this morning we celebrate the gospel. We celebrate baptism. We celebrate James's salvation. Um, I, I've told James this just identifies you publicly with Jesus. Uh, it reenacts what he did on our behalf and that he lived a perfect life. He died. He rose from the dead. And all who are united by faith to Jesus have that same glorious victory. So James Armstrong, in obedience to his command and because of your profession of faith in Christ, it's now my joy and our joy to baptize you today at Glenlock in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Some people became Methodists this morning, I think. <laughs> and based on some of Larry Teeter's comments earlier, he needed it. He needed sprinkling. <laughs> One thing you get here at Glenlock, we are being real today. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much today for your love for each one of us. You're sovereign, you're in control of this universe, and uh, Lord, thank you for the joy and the laughter that you give to your people. Even in the midst of the sacred and the holy, God, you, you give us great joy, and, and you've taken our sin, you've taken our, our guilt, you've, taken, you've even taken death, uh, that last enemy, and, and it is already defeated. Thank you for uh, James's salvation. Thank you for the public testimony and profession that, that baptism is, that you've given this to the church to share the gospel, to demonstrate the gospel, and to celebrate the gospel. As we continue to worship you this morning, God, may our sufficiency and joy be found totally and completely in you and who you are. To you be all glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Dear gracious Heavenly Father God, Lord, thank you so much um, for just allowing us to come in and worship God. Lord, thank you for being a God who brings um, chaos back into order. And thank you for being a God that um, is worthy of all worship, God. And Lord, um, we glorify you in all types of worship, God. Whether that's reading from a book or reading from a screen, God, it's not where the words are coming from um, as far as where we're reading them, God, but who they're coming from and how our hearts are choosing to worship you this morning, God. Lord, we thank you um, for John 15, 9, that as the Father have loved me, so he has loved you. And we just thank you for the reminder, God, that um, despite it all, your grace is amazing, God, and your grace saves from every situation, Lord. Um, maybe not in the ways that we expect it to, but in the way your plan has divinely planned for it to, God. Lord, we praise you for the baptism we celebrated in our new brother in Christ. And I pray this morning, if there's others in here, God, who have not taken that leap of faith, that today will be the morning of their salvation, God. Lord, we just love you and praise you, and we just pray that you open our hearts and clear our minds as we enter into this time of worship through study. Lord, speak through Pastor Neil this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You may be seated, and children are dismissed with Miss Gina in the back for Children's Church. Okay, if you're still remaining, you're not going to Children's Church, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. We have been working our way through Genesis, not verse by verse, but highlighting the, the key stories, in my personal opinion, that we find in the book of Genesis. And today we continue the narrative of Jacob, his relationship with his brother Esau, and the conflict that they were going through. When we pick up in chapter 32, where I'd like to begin reading this morning. Hey, we have fast-forwarded through 20 years of his life. Last week he was 40. This week he's 60. <laughs> so, And those of you who have gone from 40 to 60 know that it feels about like that. It feels like about a week. That's just what I've heard. So I'm midway through the week, all right? <laughs> you do the math. But I'm going to read a, a pretty lengthy narrative. I do not want you to get bored with the narrative. Because I'm going to back up and pull from the narrative what I think are the key highlighted points that we are to learn from how God deals here with Jacob. Now, let's not use this as a case study, so to speak, that this is how God deals specifically with every person he deals with on a literal basis. In other words, when I read about God wrestling with Jacob in the middle of the night, that was a real, literal, physical, supernatural struggle. So, your wrestling with God may not be exactly on these terms, but let's make no mistake about it. The one thing I want you to gain from today's message is there is a cosmic struggle going on. Every single one of us are in it, and your main battle, your main conflict with all the things you've got going on in life and will have going on in life, first and foremost, your struggle is with God. 
It is with God and God alone. And how you deal with that is going to then affect everything else about your life. So let's pick up in Genesis 32. Hey, he's on his way home, but there's a problem. He and his brother Esau are not reconciled. They have both sinned. They've both erred. And there's this looming conflict which time has not healed. There's been 20 years. And time hasn't healed it. But Jacob's coming back home and he knows that he has to deal with his brother Esau. If you want to know the gist of that conflict, we're not going to review that. But let's just say stolen birthright and stolen blessing. Not good. Conflict ensues. So chapter 32, verse 1. It says, Now as Jacob went on his way, the angels of God met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, This is God's camp. So he, na he named that place. He named that place Mahanaim. Then Jacob sent messengers before him to his brother Esau in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. He also commanded them, saying, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau. Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now. Twenty years have passed. I have oxen, donkeys, and flocks, and male and female servants. And I have sent to tell you, my lord. He's very careful with his language. I have sent to tell you, my Lord, that, that I may find favor in your sight. And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, Esau, and furthermore he is coming to meet you, and 400 men are coming with him. Jacob said, Uh-oh. <laughs> no. Verse 7, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two companies. For he said, if Esau comes to one company and attacks it, then the company which is left will escape. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who did say to me, return to your country and to your relatives, and I will prosper you. I am unworthy of all the loving kindness, of all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with my staff only I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him lest he come and attack me, the mothers with the children. For thou didst say, I will surely prosper you and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he spent the night there. Then he selected from what he had had with him a present for his brother Esau, 200 female goats and 20 male goats, 200 ewes and 20 rams. 30 milking camels and their colts, 40 cows, 10 bulls, 20 female donkeys, and 10 male donkeys. 
And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me and put a space between the droves. He commanded the one in front, saying, when my, brother, when my brother Esau meets you and asks you, saying, To whom do you belong, and where are you going, and to whom do these animals in front of you belong? Then you shall say, These belong to your servant Jacob. It is a present sent to my lord Esau, and behold, he also is behind us. Then he commanded also the second and the third, and all those who followed the droves, saying, After this manner you shall speak to Esau when you find him. And you shall say, Behold, your servant Jacob also is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goes before me. Then afterward I will see his face. Look at this. Perhaps he will accept me. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, while he himself spent the night in the camp. Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and he crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and he sent them across the stream and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Or, here at Glenlock, I guess I should say wrestle. This wasn't wrestling, it was wrestling, all right? Verse 25, when he saw that he had not prevailed against him, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go. That is Jacob saying that. I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. He said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with man and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. And now the sun rises, the sun rose up upon him just as he crossed over Penuel, and he was limping on his thigh. Therefore to this day the sons of Israel... Do not eat the sinew of the hip which is on the socket of the thigh, because he touched the socket of Jacob's thigh and the sinew of the hip. Then Jacob in 33, one lifted his eyes and he looked and behold, here comes Esau and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids and he put the maids and the children in front and Leah and her children next and then Rachel and Joseph last. But he himself passed on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. 
And he lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and the children and he said, Who are these with you? So he said, The children whom God has graciously given your servant. Then the maids came near with their children and they bowed down. And Leah likewise came near with her children and they bowed down. And afterward Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, What do you mean by all this? All this company which I've met. Look at Jacob's appeal to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. And Jacob said, no, please. If now I have found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. And you have received me favorably. Please take my gift which has been brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have plenty. Thus he urged him and he took it. And then to close, chapter 33, verses 18, 19, and 20. Now Jacob came safely to the city of Sheshem, which is in the land of Canaan, when he came from Paddan Aram and camped before the city. And he bought the piece of land where he had pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamer, Sheshem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then, this closes this particular part of the narrative. He erected there an altar and he called it El Elohe Israel. The Lord will be my God. Father, thank you for your amazing love for us. Time with your word, with your people. May we humble ourselves in proper posture before you today in humility and in hunger and in need to receive from you and your word the grace we need. Thank you for salvation in Christ. Thank you for daily sustaining us in our walk, in our journey. Help us to learn why you chose to put this story here Not only for the benefit of those who originally read it, but for us also today. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Quite a lengthy uh, reading this morning. I know much longer than usual. But I assure you we won't spend quite as much time as usual expounding the different verses in the text. If you listen to me often, you get a sense of how I approach the scriptures. My son Bennett told me a couple of weeks ago, he says, oh, I've sat in big church long enough to figure out what you do. You read your text, and then you talk about us. (laughs) That's pretty convicting, but it's also pretty true, you know. So I'm going to spend more time talking about the Lord than I do uh, my children, but I will say this. The highlight of this narrative seems to be this all-night struggle that, that God engages Jacob in and the conflict that's right there in the middle. As a father, there is something special about wrestling with your children, especially as a dad. Oh, and when my boys were small, I did it right. I mean, I would introduce myself and I would introduce them just like an announcer would at a real wrestling match. Ding, 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 and then we would wrestle. In fact, we wrestled so much. I was much younger then. We wrestled so much, I did, with my boys 
that one, one particular weekend, my wife had out-of-town people who came in, Ginger and John, and Asa must have been three, four years old. The very first thing he asked John was this, Mr. John, do you know how to wrestle? <laughs> so maybe I took it a little bit over the top. But what I want us to see is that all of us are in this struggle, this wrestle with God. And it's part of the cosmic struggle that we are in because we've been kicked out of Eden because of sin and the fall. So Jacob's life for you and me, as we watch his journey, as God, look at what God's doing. God is taking Jacob from, from who he is as Jacob which we learned last week, that means deceiver, it means supplanter, it means one who grasps by the heel. He was that by nature from birth. God is taking Jacob and turning him into who or what? Israel. That's not going to come easy. And so as we look at how God deals with Jacob, I want to apply some New Testament principles to what we see in this story and I want us to see that as God deals with Jacob in his unique particular way, that's also an illustration of how he's dealing with you and me. And what I'm going to say today is that God is growing his people, God is growing his children to become like him in the following ways. He's growing us in humility. He's growing us in perseverance. He's growing us in sufficiency. He's growing us in generosity, and he's growing us in worship. In other words, God is the potter, and we are the clay, and he will use any means necessary to save us and to form us to become like he is because God has all these qualities in perfection. And God is willing to fight you for your benefit to mold you and shape you to become what he has called you to be. What we see God doing in Jacob's life, in other words, is commanded for every child of God and every disciple of Christ. Peter tells us at the end of 2 Peter, he says, Be on your guard, lest you fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Grow in grace and knowledge. I see God engaging Jacob, not just in the wrestling match at night, but his whole life. His whole life, God is forming him and shaping him so that he would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. So what we see in Jacob, we see also happening in us. Writer Donald Miller, who I read a couple of his books several years ago, but I remembered something that he said recently. A story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. A story is a character who wants something and overcomes conflict to get it. That's the essence of every story. So in Jacob's life story, God is at work in him, both to will and to do 
for God's good pleasure. But this doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen just in the passage we are reading. It happens over the course of his whole life from birth to death. And even after the narrative I've just read, there's still going to be battles. There's still going to be struggles. As someone asked the pastor, how long does it take you to prepare a sermon? His answer was classic and true. It takes my whole life. Because you put your whole life into everything that's going on, particularly the things of God. Okay, how do you get this out of this, Neil? Jacob is growing in humility. In fact, if we could look at his prayer last week in Bethel, it was kind of a self-centered prayer. Hey, God, since you're going to help me, I think I'll serve you. Notice how deep his humility now, 20 years later, after Laban has deceived him, after he's received a dose of his own medicine, now I see Jacob has grown greatly in humility. And one of the specific ways we know this is his prayer in 32, 9 and 10. He's terrified of meeting Esau. What's Esau going to do with these 400 men? He's going to wipe out my companies. Boy, Jacob has really grown from being the hotshot supplanter to being someone who desperately prays for God's intervention. He says, Lord, I'm unworthy of all the love and all the faithfulness which you've shown to your servant. How he addresses Esau has changed. My Lord, my Lord, your servant, your servant. What's all this bowing down that they're doing at the end of the story? Bowing down before Esau, one after the other, wave after wave. They're getting on their knees before Esau. What's that all about? God has grown Jacob in humility, and he's passed that on to his family. And let's make no mistake about it. It took time, and it took crisis, and it took intervention it takes the rest of it. It's taking, taking everything that's going to happen in the future that we're not going to cover to bring Jacob to the proper posture that he is, ha- he is to have before, before Almighty God. But you see it in his prayer life. You see it in his tone. You see it in his posture. God's really taken Jacob from Jacob to Israel, to his people. As I thought about this, this, this one, one of my favorite series was the Indiana Jones series starring Harrison Ford. One particular movie, uh, which, which Harrison has his, his father's notebook and he's working through a series of tests to, to get to the Holy Grail. Now this is not true, but it illustrates some really cool things. I think it was The Last Crusade, Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade. Anybody see that? Well, he's got this text in front of him, and Harrison Ford says, as he goes through step one and stage one, the, the penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall pass. The penitent man shall And you can tell he's trying to figure out, what does that mean? How do I react? What do I do? Penitent man shall pass. Penitent man shall pass. And then it hits him. The penitent man is humble, humble before God. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm speaking as fast as Harrison was that the blade's going to come over my head. The penitent man is humble before God. What does the humble man do? He gets down and he bows. And as soon as he realizes it and he falls to his knees, the blade passes over and the penitent man passes the first stage. 
Well, it's taken Jacob years to get to this point and some tough losses and some tough lessons. But he's learning what all of us must come to grips with. He is God and we are not. And we find our proper place and posture in humility and brokenness before him. And it is true scripturally that only the penitent, only the repentant shall pass in this life and in this journey. So anyway, God's growing Jacob in humility. Look at his life and see how he's growing and developing us as well. The second point is that God is growing Jacob in perseverance. This is a, a lengthy point, but I just want to make a few points about the fact that Jacob thinks his opponent is Esau, but Jacob's opponent is really not Esau. He's got conflicts with Esau. Esau has issues with Jacob and Jacob with Esau, but that's not the, that's not the true conflict here. Jacob's real conflict is with God, and in fact, Jacob's original conflict with God is what led to the conflict with Esau. Does that make sense? The whole reason conflict exists among us horizontally is that we have failed vertically in our relationship with God. If we were all doing His will perfectly all the time, there would be no war. There would be no struggle. There would be no conflict. So God has to ambush you and me. We have to fail. We have to hurt. Someone has to come into conflict with us or else we won't change because none of us by nature like change. We want to stay just as we are, comfortable, right? So Donald Miller said in more of quoting what, he, what I read from earlier, humans naturally seek comfort and stability. Without an inciting incident that disrupts their comfort, they won't enter the story. So they have to get fired from their job or be forced to sign up for a marathon. A ring has to be purchased. A home has to be sold. The character has to jump into the story, into the discomfort and fear. Otherwise, the story will never happen. So without conflict, there's not a story. But, but I want to change what Miller says a little bit. The main character in the story is God himself. He's the character who engages. He jumps in. And Jacob's got to be thinking, what's going on? Why is this happening? Who is this who's ambushed me on my way back home? Well, who has jumped Jacob? Who has ambushed him in the middle of the night? It's God himself. What an intense match this is. And the interesting thing is Jacob doesn't in passivity say, Okay, I'm, you know, I give up. <laughs> it's not that easy. He strives, he engages, he fights all night long. Jacob's thinking, I'm not, I'm not going back to Laban. I mean, I've come too far. I've invested too far, too much into this. I'm, I mean, I've, I've, we've moved the ball all the way down the field, and I'm about to cross into home. I'm, I'm on the one-yard line. I'm not going to let you stop me. I'm going to press on. I'm going to persevere. And that's exactly what he does. But in the process, he learns some things. He learns about the terror and the power of God. I think at first he didn't know who he was wrestling with. 
But boy, it came to light later in the story. I want you to notice what he says as he struggles with God. Well, for one thing, with just a touch from whoever he's wrestling with, he's wounded and injured. All it took was a touch. And Jacob's not going to let go. I mean, he's clinging. He's holding on because he, wa- he wants what? He wants whatever God has so bad that he's willing to hang on if it kills him. Because what's Jacob been wanting all along? A blessing. He's wanted significance and meaning and love. And so all along he's wanted the blessing, but he thinks to himself, the blessing that I really wanted and needed was from God himself. And so he clings and he holds on. And in verse 27, he has to admit who he is. Isn't this weird in verse 27? What's your name? Jacob has to, you know when you're wrestling and, you know, well, you may not have done this, but when I was a kid, you had to say uncle. (laughs) Or I had a friend, you had to say calf rope. I'm like, calf rope? Where where do you get this? Some of you know what I'm talking about. It's a point of surrender. It's a point of you got me. You've got me in a place where I can't do anything other than confess who I am. See, before Jacob can become Israel, he's got to own who he is. Well, who is Jacob? He's a sinner. He's a deceiver. He's a supplanter. He wants the blessing, but before he can get the blessing, he has to admit who he is. How many times in Vacation Bible School have we said that God sent Jesus to save us, but before you can truly receive the gift, you have to do what? The A of the ABCs that we go through every June is admit. Admit that God is holy. That you are in no condition by yourself to go face to face and toe to toe with God until you admit that you're a Jacob, that you're a sinner. Completely in need of His grace. And what's interesting is in verse 28, when he finally admits that he's a Jacob, what what does God tell him? You're no longer going to be who you were. But now you're going to be Israel, the source of my people. In the text that Larry Teeter read this morning in Isaiah 40, God is talking to his children and his people and he calls them, O Jacob, O Israel. You were Jacob's, but I've made you Israel. Because you've trusted, and you've believed, you've followed. You've striven, you've fought and struggled with God, and you've prevailed by doing what? By, by surrendering. By surrendering. How do you gain victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil? Only by surrendering first to God and taking up His armor rather than your own, His righteousness rather than your own. To be done with all these companies of good works that you're trying to appease God and others with. But by grace alone, through faith alone, you present yourself in humility before God. And Jacob strives with him. He fights with him. He goes through that struggle and he confesses his name. But notice that Jacob cannot get God to give him his name. 
They could say, please tell me your name. Why do you ask my name? And he never tells him his name. Jacob is surprised and amazed that he's gone face to face with God, which is our ultimate dilemma. How can we face God and live? How can we face God and survive? God never tells him the name. But I'm going to close with this because you realize I'm at point number two and I got three more to go. Well, I got next sermon, next Sunday sermon done already. <laughs> we'll look at the last three, but you come back because here's what I here's the surprise. Here's the gospel. Here's the grace. The name of God is never given in this particular text. God never tells Jacob his name. But I'm going to show you in ways next week that there is a name, and his name is Jesus. And when his disciples tell him, it'd be enough for us if you would show us God. If you'll just show us God. You know what he says? He who has seen me has seen the Father. God and Jesus came down and fought on our behalf. You see God fighting Jacob for Jacob's salvation and growth? What's the gospel? God came down in Jesus and fought for the church, his bride. And we clearly know this side of the cross, who reveals the face of God, who gives us the grace of God, who died on the cross and rose again, they preached him in the book of Acts. There is salvation in no other name other than what? Than Jesus. And through Him and surrender to Him, you and I have salvation and new life and a new identity. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your grace and Your love and Your mercy, which has come to us primarily through Your struggle and your struggle on our behalf as Christ entered into this world and there was war surrounding his birth. Christ entered this world and as he taught and as he healed, there was war from the religious leaders and the political leaders regarding his life. There was war in the wilderness with Satan. There was war in Gethsemane. As he surrendered completely to the cup of your will, there's war on the cross. But what a victory on the other side. As the sun came up on that first resurrection morning. And our hope and our certainty now is that the dead in Christ shall rise. And as we die to ourselves, we too shall live and live new life. Father, thank you that even in the Old Testament, we see this demonstrated in powerful ways. The lives of a sinful human like Jacob. May we too own our Jacobness, for lack of a better term, so that we can go through the struggle and become an Israel a new Israel in Christ, who is the blessing. In his name we pray, amen. Here's the name right here. My Jesus, I love thee. Let's stand and sing this hymn of invitation. You come as we sing.
Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your loving kindness. We thank you for the fact that you're, you're so patient with us. As I know in my personal life, I probably strive with you every day, but you still love me through it all. And uh, you forgive me. Sometimes I just get a little bit too hard-headed, and I don't stop and think about that you have my uh, good intentions uh, at the forefront. And I thank you for that. I thank you that we've made it another week. We look forward to this coming up week. And just help us listen to your word, listen to the message that Neil delivered today. Uh, let us keep you in the forefront of our mind, keep Jesus in our hearts, and spread that love to other people just the, way, the same way you love us. Thank you for all the many blessings you've given us, especially uh, now is a good time of the week that we get a return a portion of, of those blessings you give us. We just ask you that you take this. Uh, every dime that's put on these offering plates, every penny that's put in the offering plates, and we just ask you to use it to increase your kingdom and let it go forward to a fallen world and bring more people into your kingdom. Most of all, we thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who paid the price for our sins, and now we're guaranteed eternity in heaven with you, and it's his name I pray, amen.
benediction, a couple of things I'd like to communicate. Um, if James would come forward, James Armstrong. As we do with everyone who's baptized here, James would like to present you with a Bible, a certificate of baptism. Great to see your family and friends here. I know we had a lot of people come to support you. You stay here with me, James. We're not, we're not going to let you off the hook that is. Hey, after our prayer benediction, uh, if you hadn't had a chance to come by and greet James and welcome him in our church family, please do. Um, also, I want to point out that it's great to see Holly here, Holly Rude, Jeff and Crystal's daughter. 